Hello, I'm Eagle, Eagle Gardens, Eagle Gardens 1 on Instagram, and this is Fucking Talking Shit with Eagle, episode 339. Hopefully you guys have had an amazing Friday. I know I have. I know I have an amazing guest for you tonight. You guys have seen him all around the community, very much so in the organic community, Joshua Steenslin. How are you doing tonight, sir? Doing good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Appreciate you uh, reaching out. Man, it's definitely my pleasure. My pleasure for sure. What you smoking on there tonight? Uh, I think tonight I've got some of uh, Gino Malcomy's gear. I got some tester beans from him a couple years ago. I think it was the Platinum Tesla OG times Teleforce. Fuck, sorry, brother, if I'm messing it up. But it was an unnamed tester. Uh, really nice, man. Turned out really, really good. I only uh, had like three or four in my last cycle of, of his um, in there, and they all turned out really, really nice. So, so working through some of that. Well, it's got to be pretty decent for a tester if it's still around a couple years later. It's got to say a lot right there. <laughs> right? Yeah, for sure. So heck yeah. Uh, well, this is the the, the uh, backstory show of it all. So I guess yeah. we might as well just jump into it all and uh, you know get to the get to the beginning question. That you know I think it's funny about this this in particular question does start off almost every show. But the beauty about this question is is it has so many different outcomes. <laughs> it's uh, it makes the question valid every time. I'm intrigued. Time, so. Yeah. So what is what? When is when was the first time Lady Cannabis come strolling, strolling into your life? Well, you know, <clears throat> it was around uh, ever since I was a kid. My mom uh, was a uh, uh, you know a regular uh, would regularly imbibe and. Um, you know, of course, back then I was I was born in uh, 75. I'm 46. So, you know, back when I was young, uh, single digit years, uh, you know, obviously cannabis is still very illegal. And and uh, my mom was very much uh, um, pretty open with uh, with, you know, her lifestyle. And, and so I, it was around, you know, and um, so I had a pretty a pretty early exposure to it. You know, I even remember gosh I must have been eight or nine um getting a hold of some some brownies that my mom and her friend had made and they had just kind of were like oh they laughed it off you know and they watched me get completely baked and just laughed you know laughed at me about it you know and and, uh that was my first like real real world interaction with cannabis um unfortunately my mom passed away uh shortly after that in a car accident when I was 10 and so I was removed from the culture then because I had to go live with my grandparents. They're very, they're very uh, strict. And, um, and so I didn't. And then I, in high school, I was, a, I was an athlete. And so I was pretty, pretty big into fitness and I was a varsity track athlete. And, uh, and so I didn't really, didn't really smoke a lot in high school. I had a girlfriend late in high school that we dabbled a little bit, but, uh, you know, I was, it just wasn't my wavelength back then. Um, I joined the Marines in 93 
and uh, I got stationed. I got the fortunate. Uh, um, I was fortunate enough to get stationed in Puerto Rico uh, for one of my first duty stations after going through training. And so um, after about seven or eight months of just drinking myself silly in Puerto Rico, I was finally like, man, there's got to be another way to recreate. And, you know, and I just got the itch to smoke some, smoke some weed, you know, I was like, I was, here I am in the Caribbean. And I knew that there was a lot of uh, recreational substances at my fingertips. And so we, we took uh, 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 advantage of our position in Puerto Rico, me and a couple of my good Marine buddies, and we uh, were able to find a regular source for cannabis. And, and that's, that really kicked me off. And that was probably in like 95. Um, and so that's when I knew that cannabis was going to be with me forever. You know, I just, after, after like binge drinking for six months, you know, and then get moving on to the cannabis and just like, oh, okay, man, I'm, I'm not going to be puking anymore. You know, all the stuff that most of us figure out <laughs> when we, you know, when we, when we weigh our two options, when it's a recreational thing, you know? Um, and then, and then after time, you, you start to realize as most of us do that there is actually like a therapeutic therapeutic benefits happening with this. And this is before medical, right? So, so it wasn't even, nobody ever even really thought of weed as medicine back then, you know, it, it, we just knew that it was, there was a net positive. And so, you know, it was one of those things where as soon as I, as soon as I consumed it regularly in Puerto Rico as an adult, I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is staying on board forever. Like this is a non-negotiable. <laughs> it, it, it is. Well, sorry to hear about the, the early loss of your mom, brother. That's very early. Oh yeah. You know, you know, uh, it, it's uh, one of those things that it shapes you as a person, you know, it, it's, it's uh, that, that a part of your past that you can't escape from. And it shaped who I was from that moment on. Um, but at this point it was so long ago, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's just part of life, you know, and, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, the way it goes, man. I appreciate it. And, but between the, you know, it, you, like you said, it, it's a tough way to, you know, shape your way your life man but between that and the marines at 90 in 93 that had to have been fresh fresh out of high school i mean graduate yeah. directly yeah. into the marines i actually fucking around totally like, I actually I'm going i'm going into the fucking marines i'm going to be a badass that's not <laughs> i mean out of all the all the branches you know the brains don't fuck around. You definitely chose the hardest. Yeah, brain. well, there's like, a kind oh. of a there's kind of a funny story with that because I, um, because right because my mom passed, I was in a, um, I lived with my grandma for a spell, and then we went to like a foster home type situation where, um, it was a small town in southeastern Washington, so everybody kind of knew each other. It wasn't so small that it was like you know, you know, a hundred people, but it was small enough that the, you know, the community of people knew each other. So we went to live with this family and, and, um, oh man, I think I lost my train of thought already. Oh, but I wanted out. Yeah. So I wanted out. Right. So at the end of my junior year, I enlisted in the Marines to, to leave 
the following year. So with my whole senior year, I knew I was going into the Marines. Um, and uh, it was just like, I was just preparing for it my whole senior year. Uh, and then two days after graduation, I was gone. Jumped right into it. It's crazy. <laughs> so I can't help but wonder, you say your whole senior year, you knew you were going in and you yeah. kind of trained for it. Yeah. So was that like physically training for it or I'm yeah, going I mean, to the fucking Marines and I'm going to be a madman my senior year? Yeah, so <laughs> no, no, it was, um, it was a lot of like, I was kind of a boring cat you know, by the time my senior year rolled around, because I was, I was pretty up to that point, I was pretty serious about sports. Um, And then I had kind of a long time, steady girlfriend. And so I was really just focused on spending a lot of time with her, because I knew I was going to be jamming, spending time with family. And then I, I did do a lot of like mental preparation. Like I, I read a lot of the Marine Corps manual, that kind of crap, just to kind of get prepared for boot camp. Um, so I originally, the, the, how I decided on the Marines is really kind of funny. I had scheduled an appointment with the air force recruiter and cause I was like, Oh, let's check out the air force. See what's up. I thought maybe there was good job opportunities after the service with the air force, you know, like either in mechanics or something. So I was like, let me go check, let me check them out. And I went to the recruiting office and they completely stood me up. Like, like nobody was there. I was fucking pissed. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. And so I, I walk off and I walk down and, and I walk by this open door. And as I pass the open door, there's a guy in there and he's like, Hey, the fuck you doing? And I come back and I look and it's the Marine recruiter. And I was like, Hey, these fucking assholes stood me up. And he's like, yeah, it's about right. And then that was it. You know, we started talking and, uh, I, and then I was like, all right, all right. I think I was, you saved me from making a bad decision. Um, I, t- I took their little ASVAB test and, you know, tested in like the 97th percentile and he just was over the moon to get me, get me signed up. And I, and I was able to, uh, you know, pick a pretty good MOS, uh, e- uh, military occupational specialty. And so, uh, you know, I, I was able to specialize in um, as a Marine security, Marine security forces. So, you know, I got to learn um, uh, uh, finer security points, uh, VIP escort, uh, executive protection, um, high asset security, um, that kind of stuff. And I ended up getting a secret clearance and that's how I got um sent to Puerto Rico to work on a, a secret a Navy base that had secret clearance for, you know, uh, communications or whatever. So none of this stuff. I mean, I can't, I I'm, I'm totally cleared to talk about any of that. It's, it's pretty much common knowledge at this point, what's going on down there. But, uh, yeah, it, it was, uh, really good for me. Cause I was a bit, you know, I was, uh, not ready to go to college and um you know i just felt like uh that was gonna get me out of the situation i was in at home where i just you know really was that was my ticket to be out and independent as soon as possible and and it seems kind of counterintuitive to go into the military to be independent but that compared to the situation i was in that was independent you know and and uh and I gobbled it up, you know, and, and, and the Marines was really, really good for me. But I did four years 
and, and, and was anxious to get out and live a normal life for sure. So when you were uh, finding the cannabis over there, uh, mm. <laughs> what were you, what were you getting into? You, what were you Holy lucky enough shit. to find? So it, you know, you know, a lot of it was pretty, you know, pretty, pretty much trashy, you know, uh, boat smuggled stuff, you know, like, uh, like, like you would find coming from Mexico or anywhere else. It was a little more green there, um, but how we had to get it was really a trip. Like there's this place in old San Juan where you'd go and there'd be these like cops that were paid and they're, they're sitting there at the top of these, this stairwell. And when I first got taken there by a local, they were like, Hey, don't worry. These guys work for the cartel. And I was like, Oh, okay. I see what's going on. So there's, there was like no problem. They know what's going on. You won't get arrested when you come back up. Everything's cool. And I was like, all right, great. So we go down, down this little rickety like stairwell into this old San Juan where it's just li- literally like the first settlements. It's really, architecturally speaking, it's gorgeous, man. But down there, you get down into these like seedy, narrow, um, reminds me of uh, Venice, you know, like really like narrow Venetian type streets. And uh, people would just come out of the woodworks with tackle boxes you know, these three tiered tackle boxes and inside this tackle box was whatever you could possibly want, you know, like uh, the powders, the pills, the, the ganja, like everything, like anything you can imagine. So as, as you can imagine, uh, 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 you know, 20, 21 year old young man in uh, Puerto Rico with lots of spare time. Cause you know, we got, we were pretty fortunate where we, we worked for like three days straight and then we got two or three days off, you know? So then, so we had a lot of spare time because our work, when we worked, we were working 24 hours straight. We were on site. We couldn't leave. We were eating, sleeping on site. So we got a lot of free time when we weren't working. So we got to just tear, tear it up in Puerto Rico and, and tear it up. We did. It sounds like some pretty good times over there, man. Yeah, man. Yep, uh, for sure. Definitely, uh, especially being wound up. I mean, I'm the adrenaline. I'm sure from doing what you're doing is pretty high anyway. So in your off time, I'm sure you're you're matching, <laughs> you're mm-hmm. matching the adrenaline. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The intensity never leaves when you're when you're in that kind of, especially that young too, and the and the testosterone is flowing, and and you're really just kind of, uh, you know, at maximum machismo. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't have wanted to run into the twenty one or twenty two year old me back then. <laughs> Different you know, character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same here, same here. You know, I heard you mention that, like, the therapeutical or the med- medical benefits of cannabis. It sounds mm-hmm. like you found it. Did Did you find the the actual medical benefits before growing? Did you actually find that it had its benefits before the growing? No, actually, when I first started growing was was obviously like for profit. It was it was uh, I think uh, if 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 anybody was so inclined to do it deep 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 scroll on my instagram feed 
you'll find an old Polaroid um, from around, gosh, it must have been 97 from my first grow in 97 back when Polaroids were like the only way you could take a picture of your shit because you couldn't take it to a one hour photo. Um, there was no digital cameras. So it was, uh, it was a Polaroid. And, and, and so 97 was my first big grow, uh, what I call big, um, not a closet. Um, and uh, I've been growing ever since. But no, that, that grow was specifically to save money and, and make money, you know, because we obviously buying weed at 50 bucks an eighth or whatever back in the day. Uh, is not very sustainable unless you're a trust fund kid or whatever. <laughs> so we started growing. Yeah. <clears throat> and then I just noticed, you know, over time that like my stomach issues that, you know, um, that I was having pretty regularly when the quality of the cannabis got better, you know, like when we were growing, when we first had the homegrown, you know, that, then that was, you know, uh, exponentially better than the crap we were getting on the street. And then once we, you know, started refining our skills and, and, and it, the smoke got better and better. Um, I, that's when I, my body got tuned to it. And I realized that, Hey man, my morning nausea isn't, is non-existent when I have good smoke, you know, when I've got the good homegrown stuff, I didn't have the nausea or, you know, uh, it helps with my anxiety. I, I did end up leaving, the service with a little PTSD come, you know, from, from sticky situations in, in West Africa. Um, but uh, it, it's, so it's helped, you know, and, and I felt that, I felt that blanket of ease, you know, that comfort that I get from it uh, and recognize it as therapy right away, you know, like within a couple years of, of growing it. You know, I, I, I've said a lot of times, a lot of times in the last year, mainly from my own experience, but, you know, hearing people tell their own, their own journey as well. But, you know, cannabis, as you cultivate, it does seem to bring out the, the medicinal side. I think it's very therapeutic all in itself. Yeah. But today I was listening to a, a book on organics and just as much as I thought, you know, cannabis in general has been suppressed. But I, I kind of thought this one fact that I heard today had to be, even though it's, it's, it seems to be more than obvious, I had never heard of, heard of it, you know, up until I heard it today. And it said that uh, in 73... 73 the horde the horticulture society actually sent out a like did a campaign to they had realized it then they had horticulture had such a therapeutical value that they were reaching out to drug addicts and you know people that had stress problems back then Right. Way the right. fuck back in 73. Right. And that's just the simple and act I, of cultivation, right? Like cultivating anything, right? Like having right. therapeutic benefit. Yeah. It's a trip. Yeah, and that's, and yeah, and then they once apply, you know, I thought, you know, 
it just oh, I almost just thought it applied to cannabis, but to know right. that they knew it applied to everything back then, I was like, man, why isn't this being taught to more people? You know what I mean? I wasn't, yep. you know, when addicts go into, you know, recovery or, you know, how come one of the things they ain't offered right off the bat? Yeah. Here's some dirt. Here's some soil. 100%. Fucking take your mind to another place. Yep, 100%. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. We we uh, we were just talking about that here at home the other day about how your gut is responsible for a lot of your mental well-being, right? And so in Eastern um, Eastern practices or, or medicines, like, like especially Ayurveda, Ayurveda, they call the gut your second brain. And that that you know it's directly responsible to the parts of your brain that uh, allow you to feel pleasure and uh, a sense of well-being and on all of that and so what i'm getting at is is that if you're gardening in um a, a, an organic garden where you don't have pesticides where you're, you're the microbiome is present in the soil those are the, that's the similar biology and the same biology that it's existing in your guts. Right. So that's why like pulling a carrot out of the garden and not washing it off with that chlorinated water, tap water before you eat it is really important because you're introducing the microbes that actually populate the lining of your gut and, and charge your second brain and literally help you feel better. So the fact that they, you know, have empirical data to, to kind of back that up is is awesome, you know. And we've something that we've all just known from experience the the catharsis and this kind of uh, release that happens when you actually spend time in the garden, not fiddle fucking around, but but cultivating. Um, like there's something that happens, and we all know it. Um, and I think the more people that get their hands in soil or or, or you know, uh, care for a crop, it, whatever, even if it's, you know, uh, hydroponic or something, you know, like they're, they're, you're missing a living soil component there, but I'm not, I, I wouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, like you're still, you're still taking care of something and guiding it and steering it. And, and, you know, you could do it in a, in a way where at the end, the end product is good and healthy and that, and that's legit, man. So I, I don't hate on people for doing that, but the soil growing, there's something there, you know, it, with that exchange of biology um, that's super, super important. And it lends uh, credence to what you were just saying about, you know, it, it actually makes you healthier, makes you happier. And there's there's science to and, and physiology and biology that kind of back all that up. For sure. You know, I actually... Uh, it's funny because you know you always hear that phrase, the gut feeling. Mm-hmm. Got yeah, that gut feeling, hundred percent. And you know, I never had actually related it to my gut or the second brain up until yep. this last year. I kind of did a deep uh, spiritual dive this last year, nice. and it's kind of it was kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Well. It was with you know a little bit of the you know micro dosing, so maybe it was the smartness of the microbiology yeah, right there, yeah. you know, being introduced. But it was 
a little bit of both, I think, as I went yeah. down that road and started doing this and talking about a little bit more about organics and stuff that I really started putting things together. Yeah. And I read this one book, the, uh, what was it, Dirt to Soil, or was it the, the Soil Cure, I think. And they were talking about the importance of uh, your gut biome and it being uh, responsible for up to 40% of your overall thinking in general right talking about how smart uh, micros were you know actually at one point you know putting the uh, putting uh putting a drop on a, a puzzle and it actually would figure its way out throw its <laughs> way out of the right of the and it was like wow but i never you know i never really put any thought to you know your gut having that much to do with your overall thinking yeah but it it obviously does yeah yeah it is and that's a it's a tough one for us to wrap our kind of western minds around um because we're so we're so in our head and and it's disassociated with our body a lot of times with our thinking and um it, it was an eye-opener for me and even now like i understand the concept but it's still really hard to even like wrap your head around like what does that even mean like your gut is responsible for this shit it, and to me it means you just gotta be cool with what you're eating man and make sure you're, what, what you're eating isn't disturbing that microbiome and if it's damaged anyway you've got to replace it and the only way to replace it is you know by populating it the best way is by populating it naturally with foods that are just rich in those that's on the leaves of the lettuce and, and you know, um, that you can't, you can't escape good biology, but you know, it's coming from, you know, a biodynamic farm or a regeneratively ran farm where the, the, the place is just teeming with it. Uh, you'll get it just walking around. You know, you're just going to pick it up. Yeah, I don't think people like to realize that, you know, so much more. They like to think that we're, you know, just this. It's, yeah. This is a person. That's yeah, it. Yeah. That's it. You know what I mean? They don't like to realize that there's so much other living processes going on inside of us that are uh, so independent of what we think and do. Yeah, you know? absolutely, man. True story. So I, it's interesting that you're doing the microdosing too. I've started on that on that journey probably two months ago now, and I've been taking uh, you know a point one to a point one five pretty much every day. I've taken a couple days off um, just to kind of see how if there was a difference cognitively or or what you know. I've really been trying to to um, be present and and basically keeping like a mental journal of what the different dosages are. And I've got two different strains of, uh, of mushroom too. So um, it's interesting, like dosing those separately, you know, to, to, to see the differences um, that are subtle, but they're there. And, and um, so I'm, I'm, I'm interested, I'm interested to expand my, um, you know, uh, medicine cabinet as it were to try multiple different varieties and really kind of just um, play around with them at the micro scale. You know, like a, a lot of these, I, ha I haven't even taken um, a therapeutic dose yet on these, or I haven't gone on a journey on these yet, but I do know that if I've, I've taken it up to 0.2 or a two point or 0.25, that I'll start to feel, start to feel that yawns coming on and you start to feel that first onset. 
So I know that there's a, you know, uh, there's a threshold, but I have yet to take a hero, heroic or, or a journey with them. So I'm kind of enjoying it, leaving it at, at this micro perspective um, because I've definitely noticed a difference in my overall sense of well-being um, and uh, more energy, kind of more like natural energy. You know, it's, it's, it's been really interesting. I don't know. I'd love to hear what your experience has been. Very similar, very similar. Overall, uh, better mood. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, uh, they kind of—I went the other way. Uh, I, I, I was—I uh, had a friend of mine that had uh, passed me a good amount of them, and I was, you know, here and there a little bit, and they were—I could tell that they were helping re-bring, re-bring back that good mood that I used to have all the time. I'm right. like, okay, okay. And then it ended up, uh, <laughs> it was kind of funny because uh, the guy who was, uh, was actually, I have one of my daughters in chat, so this is kind of funny. My oldest daughter, uh, who her boyfriend, who was kind of cultivating them at the time uh, was passing them to me, which I think was super funny because it was kind of like a, let's keep the old man happy. So like every time I see him, he was like, you know, handing me a nice, a nice batch. And they were going back and forth from uh, fresh to like a dry. Mm. And so I was like going back on the weight back and forth, just barely, barely taking some. And then I, it was like wet, 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 wet. Then I got a bunch of dry and I didn't even think (laughs) during that trans transition period. So I was, I took a wet dose of dry. Yes, you got walnuts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it ended up being a fucking dose. Yeah, man. It was weird. It was completely weird. Uh, I What happened that night, it was very hard to swallow, to be honest with you. Oh, wow. It was super hard to swallow. Yeah. But what... What came about was, man, it, it was what it was everything that was going on in my life at that time that I wasn't aware of. Yeah. That was like revealed to me all in that night. Yeah. And it was super hard to deal with. Yeah. And then as I, as time went on and I kind of reflected on my experience uh, on that night. Things started to unfold. It was weird. I, I started seeing like angel numbers, one one one, two two two. And oh, at first interesting. It was like, wow, that, wow, that's weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then it became so apparent that I couldn't look away anymore at the angel right. numbers. I had right. to start looking into what the heck I was seeing. On top of that, things were happening that were related. Were relating back to that night. And it was like, they should have been just crushing events, you know what I mean? But it was like, "Mm, 
I've already dealt with that. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, right. I've already, I've already been there. I've already dealt yeah. with that. I'm over the situation. Right. It's time to move on. I'm right. moving on. And even the people around me were like, how are you fucking holding? How are you keeping shit together? Sure. You know what I mean? And yeah. it was all to that revelation. I had already Sweet. seen and been through it that night. Wow. And as it played out, I was, you know, I was able to mentally deal with it all. It That's was very pretty. wild. That's a powerful testimony. Like it's a, it's one of those things like a, the psychedelic experience like some people try to take them to have a profound experience and then they just miss it. And other people have these profound experiences completely inadvertently. And, and many times there are these uncomfortable kind of jarring moments, but you know, like, like, like uh, uh, the stream, you know, clearing the river or a blockage in the river, there has to be enough inertia to jam that big rock out of the way to let everything go. Right. And so I think that a lot of times that's what happens when people have bad trips or you get, you end up getting into this introspective kind of hellish space where you're just like spinning on your thoughts. You know, that's a, uh, uh it's, it's going to happen whether you want it to or not. So you can be combative or you can go with it. But either way, I feel like the outcome is, is the same in the end. Whether you, whether you go about it kicking and screaming which, or you go about it peacefully and calm, which a lot of times you don't have the choice. It's just your body is going through a reaction and, you, and your mind and you just kind of got to deal the cards you dealt yourself, you know, and cause I've been there, man. I've, uh, I've dabbled with psychedelics a lot back in the day and, you know, I've had found myself stuck in like, especially with LSD, man, you can, cause the, the journey so long comparatively to, to psilocybin that you really like, you can find yourself if you're not in the right setting or space. And if, you know, certain life circumstances or whatever, they can really, you could find yourself kind of in a feedback loop of uh, anxiety, you know, but a lot of that has had to do with setting, at least in my case. I, you know, I was listening on Clubhouse the other day in a, in a room about uh, psychedelics and they were talking, uh, they were actually saying that, you know, for therapeutical uh, sessions that you should almost be in that bad spot mm. when you go into that place just so you can skip the bullshit you sure. know what i mean interesting that i've came interesting. i've came to my session and i'm good today you know what i right. mean and we're gonna you know it's all high all good stuff that session yeah you, you had a breakthrough you left but they were talking about you know it was better to when you were you know, had that moment and you could go deep and lock into yourself, mm. just like you were saying, push yep. that fucking boulder out of yep. the way and get yeah, it, you exactly. know, move on yep. from the sessions after that 100%. The happy place. Right. Cause then, then like, you've got this kind of this flowing energy. If, if you're into that kind of thought process of, of how um, we interact with things energetically, you know, this kind of electric universe type concept, uh, it it, it 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 stands to reason that you know when you are uh, 
blockage free or you've worked to worked loose some kind of uh, energetic uh, blockage that now you're you're open to um, receive the other you know other signals right so you're not only not only are you more efficient with your output but you're also more efficient at what you can receive as well uh, it's like a two-way diaphragm you remove the blockage instead of just a one-way that's super interesting so even after that experience you know it kind of <laughs> just led me to being open more open mm. to you know, spiritual, more spiritual sure. side of things. Yeah. And uh, I then from that point on, I've been trying to just kind of link the two. Mm-hmm. Much like, uh, you know, you, we think about we're in a spiritual place or meditation-like state when we use cannabis. I've been trying to use microdosing when I want to be a dive deeper into my spirituality. When I 100%. Like, go, want to... A lot of times I think a good time is like right before I I like listen to a book on Buddhism or Mm. something like that to where I hear I'll be listening to something and then I'll hit that one thing that sends me into a tailspin. Then I'll stop and focus on, you know, whatever it is I just heard. Right. You know. It's yeah, it a, it it's pretty cool how it gives you laser focus. It, like that's what I noticed that, uh, and not like this enhanced caffeine or you no know, methamphetamine type focus. It's like a it's like a uh, very present and aware, but you're able to like just focus on shit. It's it's really hard to describe. It's this. It's a really soft. Uh, uh, awareness soft like soft focus is, a, is how i describe it you know because it's not like you're stuck with this kind of hard analytical because like once again lsd can feel that way um and from what i understand that's what like a lot of the silicon valley like coders and whatnot they're 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 microdosing the lsd and and i could really see where that has that that has that really kind of sharp focus you know with with it as com- compared to mushrooms you it's more kind of when you get high with mushrooms it's more of this drunken feeling where you're just a little kind of woozy and whoop, whoop, but, but with lsd you're like whoosh, locked in you know things are moving and you're just like whoa whoa it's very crisp and so i, I could see the the differences and i haven't microdosed with lsd yet but I, I i think it would be interesting um to juxtaposition the two especially after you know two two good solid months of uh, microdosing with the mushrooms, man. And I, I really like it, and I don't foresee myself stopping anytime soon. So I was just fixing to kind of walk you down this road to a, a question that I was leading up to. And then I had this weird, weird uh, kind of thought in my head, and I think it's kind of funny, so I'm going to skip the bullshit, and I'm going to go right to the, the thought I had. Do it. And I think I'm starting to think as of this moment that spirituality could be a dealer. <laughs> now hear me out when I say this. 
<laughs> Hear me out when I say this, because this is what I was going to lead you up to, because this is what I think is going kind of going on. We've lead it up to this point where humanity as a whole has kind of been a shithead. And I think this is what's going on. Uh, this is why I say spirituality could be somewhat of a dealer, because I think we're being led up to something here. Mm. I think, it, you know, I think it's no coincidence that cannabis has been brought to the forefront and to capture our, capture our own all of our attention but it's like it, it seemed like it's worked like this spirit spiritualities went hey asshole come here try this yeah this. <laughs> gotcha. yeah yeah totally and then so then we we've taken the cannabis plant now follow me here follow me we've taken the cannabis plant we've started to smoke and use it with yeah this 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 is helping. This is helping. And then she went, "You should grow this shit." And we went, "Wow, this is really good. This is very beneficial." And then she went, "Okay, here's organics." And we went, "Wow, we're getting in deep, man. I'm I'm really putting myself into check." I've learned my own butts about myself. And now, oh, with organics, I'm learning how to take care of myself and the environment. And then she went, hey, one more thing. Here's some mushrooms. And And she now we're like, wow, now we're unlocking our mind and spirituality. So I think she's just like standing there, just kind of like feeding us. What what else you want? I got ayahuasca. I got DMT. What what you need? What you need? Yeah, we're gonna we're, we're gonna finally unlock unlock the thing the doors for you. Yeah. Huxley Huxley is smiling right now. That's hilarious. I'm thinking it's That's very good. possible. Yeah, I, I like that uh I like that idea. So once you got out there and you've kind of you're back home, did it start with organics for you? When no, no, no. The, the guy who taught us was very, uh, you know, miracle growy. You know, this is, <laughs> so he was, uh, you know, b- very much just whatever you can get, you know, get the 2020, you know, and, and so it was, it was that kind of deal. And then once, once I did a couple cycles, because what happened was is that we, my friend and I re- leased this really beautiful place out in the out in the country we had a big beautiful basement and uh, an acquaintance of ours was like hey man let's make use of that basement (laughs) i was like okay let's do it he's like i'll show you what's up i have all the equipment i'll bring it over i'll teach you guys how to do it teach you what i know and then you guys run it and we'll split it all one third a piece right and i was like fucking hey let's I'm, i'm down so um props to props to Gordon, man. Old Gordon, I don't even know what's up with that guy, but uh he's the guy that turned me on to the, the trade um nineteen ninety-seven. And uh yeah, so from there I just kind of poured myself into of course these were kind of pre-internet days, ninety-seven, nice at least where I was. I, I didn't have a internet in my house you know i think my brother might have had some weird dial up at his place at that point but i was completely out of that loop so it it, you know we were literally 
in the like ordering books out of high times days, you know, to get information, you know, so, uh, uh, you know, the Mel Frank shit and the Ed Rose, early Ed Rosenthal stuff, you know, um, that made growing cannabis seem so hyper complicated. And um, there, those, those early how to grow cannabis books were really fucking discouraging <laughs> for a lot of folks because they were chocked full of, you know, how easy it was to fuck it up. And, and this was back, back when the standards were, you know, shit, like, and the, the genetic availability was shit. So, um, you know, it, it, it was really back then it was just a, um, if you didn't learn from your own mistakes, you would, you would never make it in, in, in cannabis world back then, you know, like you absolutely had to be a real time farmer, you know, where like you had to pay attention you didn't have, we didn't have forums. I didn't have uh, Instagram or any of these other fucking things that we take for granted now to bounce ideas off and get immediate answers from. And even, even now it's, it, it's, it's become such a thing that you, you've got to be careful what answers you fucking get. Now you get so many fucking answers back to your questions. So, you know, um, there is something to be said for, uh, um, really like having to dig around and find good information back in the day on, on what proper cultivation techniques were and then just going out and doing them, man. And, and, and so my trajectory in doing that brought me to all different kinds. I think, I think, uh, aquaponics is the only thing I haven't tried. Um, you know, as far as conventional cultivation systems, deep water culture, aeroponics, uh, the recirculating deep water culture, like current culture, these highly oxygenated versions. I've done those, done soil with synthetics, which is completely fucking asinine to think about. You know, it's like, what was I, you know, it's like literally like tossing soil, like completely like mind numbingly dumb shit. Um, and, and, but I've done it all, right? And, 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 and eventually I got to the point where, um, I was looking for a simpler way, you know, I was like, there just has to be a simpler way than mixing these seven part formulas, fucking toting fucking soil out and, and, and wasting all this money. It just did not make any sense, you know? And so, you know, uh, uh, not until like five years ago. So from, uh, from 1997 to fucking five years ago, six years ago, I was running the rat race of trying to grow the, with the latest hype fucking nutrients or the latest hype techniques, you know, and um, once the internet became a thing, of course, that that opened up the ICMAG forums, and that, that was a huge resource for me at that time, um, and, and that's kind of what pushed me into doing the current culture uh, setup for a while, um, but uh, once I learned about the you know the living soil systems and the ease of operation you know it was music to my ears and it was literally just like why why didn't i find this sooner you know it's like in the first cycle um i that i grew in in living soil with the living soil soil style system it was hands down better than anything i had grown in the you know 15 years or whatever it was previous to that it, it was ridiculous and 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 unmistakably obvious 
that the product was better, that, that the methodology was better. And even if I didn't understand it at the time, and, and, and not to say that I do under, I have a deep understanding of it now, I just have a few more years experience on the person I was then. So I'm definitely not a Dr. Elaine or, or anything. So I, not even close. But what I do, what I have accumulated is experience and, and over the years of all the fucking up, I've learned, you know, to really pay attention to the things that are happening. Um, and that's why that uh, Fukuoka's book, The One Straw Revolution, really spoke to me because it was it just made a lot of sense, like thoughtful observation, conscious, very conscious observation of what's going on, not just whimsically looking at shit. I mean, there's time for that. But but your time spent in the garden, there has to be a time of, of kind of just this conscious analysis where you're 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 taking mental notes and you know you literally like to, to, taking a scientific method and and uh, trying to understand what's happening and, and paying attention because if not you're, you're just gonna you're setting yourself up and and what I found is that it's usually in the makeup of the individual so. They either have it in them to, to, to kind of tackle the grow like that, or they don't. And they had to learn a regimented system of cultivation that allows them to, to stay present like that. So um, his book where, you know, he just explained how he just kind of opened himself up to observing and watching the natural order <clears throat> uh, emboldened my kind of um, desire to, to step back. And, and to let to set put the components together and then know when to just get the fuck out of the way um and that's when my garden started to really improve is when I, I i started to understand when i needed to be out of the way and when i needed to be there and and that's tends to be the the variable at what fucks people's garden up you know if you have to fuss around your garden for eight hours a day something's wrong homie <laughs> I, I walk in my garden for 10 or 15 minutes in the morning. I, I do a little, you know, uh, uh, canopy management and um, a whole lot of uh, uh, analysis and admiration. And then I just kind of bask in the vibe of the room and bounce. You know, sometimes I'll sit out there and smoke a joint and just kind of look at the plants, especially when they're looking great. You know, it's, uh, it never gets old. <laughs> They are a beautiful plant, that's for sure, and uh, they seem to uh, just have that great vibe of them. Yeah. So yeah, the yeah. garden is an amazing place to yeah. spend some time. Sure is. So you said it was night and day. Night and day, you could tell that first time. Mm. Without was- question. Yeah. Yeah. When I switched from, so <clears throat> there was kind of a, a two tiered transition um i was doing like a cocoa based medium running you know your standard your ph perfect advanced nutrients stuff um and and i was i ran that for a good year or so with really great success it set some uh, medical gardens up for folks with really good success really high yields um but of course you know um looking back the, the terpenes were definitely not as good as what, what we're producing now, but, um, but we were doing all right. But what had happened is we um, had got what I felt was a bad batch of that 
uh, advanced nutrients and, um, you know, uh, just a disclaimer, it's just my personal experience. <laughs> um, in my personal opinion that, that we got a bad batch and, you know, um, it ended up I ended up turning a whole room of mine, right? Like mid flower. And so I was really upset. And, um, I, cause I ended up checking the, uh, double checking the pH of the finished deal. And it was like super low, like 5.2. And when I called them and was, and explained what was going on, they were like, Oh, it should still be fine. And I was just like, okay, that's when I knew, um, I had to find a different way, you know, like it, it, that was too big of a variable, you know, up to that point, um, consistency had been pretty good, you know, uh, considering all things considered. Uh, and, uh, that I'm such a stickler for consistency that even that, that one time in a 12 to 18 month period was enough to chase me off of the product. Um, and, and then I really started looking at an easier way. And I think through the ICMAG forums, I, I saw, uh, super soil or something. There was some kind of a uh, post where somebody was saying, you never pH your water again or something of that nature, you know? And I was like, what this, this, I don't know, this doesn't make sense to me. And I started diving into subs, super soil mix. Right. <clears throat> and, and then I was like, well, shit, I'll, let me give it a shot, you know? And so I, I cooked up a, a batch of sub super soil. I did the whole cooking process um, loaded them up into 10 gallon pots and then in, ended up putting those pots on top of the old current culture system. So once again, if somebody did a really deep scroll on my Instagram, you could probably see some of my first pictures or old pictures of that, that very first system that I did, uh, or with the super soil. So anyway, I ran that super soil run. Uh, and I think I even believe that's on my YouTube channel, uh, um, you know, as some of my first videos. And in there I had a VPD issue is before I understood vapor pressure deficit and I was, and my room was running really dry. So the plants were very squat and stunted. Um, so they grew really unusual, uh, unusually small and bushy. So they looked really crazy. And, and I get a lot of comments like at six weeks of flower, they looked just huge and chunky, but they were just weird mutants. But the, but the takeaway was, I didn't pH my water the whole time. Of course, my water coming in was carbon filtered city water. So I knew that it was in an appropriate range. I wasn't like watering in a crazy alkaline well water or something in it working. You know, so when I say I didn't have to pH my water, I didn't have to pH a nutrient formula that I was feeding to my plants. The, and I knew that I was getting neutral water, basically neutral from my tap. So not having to worry about that was a big factor, um, in me moving forward, you know, and, and to be able to complete a full harvest or full run without pHing and just using fresh water, just using water only. I was, I was sold. And the thing is, is that midway through that cycle, I, I stumbled across the living soil thread. Um, and what, where it was, it was a, I, mean, I wish I could remember the the person who posted it, but it was just a picture of this big, beautiful, just absolutely lush green plant. I was envious of how gorgeous this plant looked, you know, just when I first looked at the, at the picture, I was like, Oh my God, that's fucking beautiful, man. And the, the, the caption or whatever for the picture was like, this plant 
was fed nothing but straight water and its own fan leaves for the whole growth cycle. And it was like three weeks away from harvest. It was fucking beautiful. And I was like, this is impossible. Like I, I didn't even understand. I didn't understand how that was, uh, you know, that that person could achieve, achieve result results that I had never seen in, you know, many, many, many years of, of cultivating, you know, that the, his plant was so fucking radiant. I, I was, I, I was completely fucking determined to figure out how he achieved that. Um, and so that, that, that picture sent me down the rabbit hole and I immediately um, uh, start went deep into the rabbit hole. I think uh, uh, build a soil at the time they, they were um, I don't know how long they had had their website up with a shit ton of information from coots um, and about the coots mix and living soil and then the biology and the whole work. So they, a bit, huge credit to Jeremy and build a soil because they allowed me to really kind of like, just start to digest the important bits of the process and it allowed me to make in, in, informed decisions and my I scrapped all of that super soil because then I realized there was a lot of redundant uh, redundant excessive uh, nutrition in there that you know uh, and I'm not shitting on the on the super soil recipe but when it comes to living soil you know um, I, I, there's there's key differences. And so I bought um, the Keep It Simple soil from, uh, from Tad because uh, I'm up here in Washington State and, uh, and it's just been rocking that ever since, man. And, and it's uh, um, every cycle. I'm on my 11th cycle now. I took a year off. So I would have had, you know, I'd probably be more around 15 or something. Um, but I took a year off here at home to focus on my, the outdoor hemp project that I was doing. Um, so, but now I'm, uh, just, you know, about midway into my 11th cycle and still learning, still loving it. And, and, and now really achieving, um, every cycle It's like, I'm, I'm loving what I'm seeing more and more this, this cycle, the plants are just fucking, you know, I don't want to hex myself, but they're, they're booming out there. They're looking beautiful. And, um, it's, it's it's super enjoyable to be in a space that's just thriving and, and not in a need for anything. Uh, and you can really feel it. It's a cool, it's a cool thing. So I can't help but wonder in that timeout period, mm. when you came back, was it like, was the run after the timeout kind of like, hell yeah. And then did it kind of like ramp down? So basically I'm wondering, did it, yeah, sit why you know got great why that it was taking a break everything did it no no again doing its thing and no you're no. bringing up a no you're bringing up a really good point and i and i'll explain what happened um had i kept the beds active for that year i and i you know what i mean by that is if i would have just left a, a cover crop in there and kept the lights going and kept the blue mats going um, and, and maintained the microbiome in there, um, then I would have been able to plug in cycle 10 and it would have been booming, right? No problem. But I didn't do that. Um, I wasn't home at all for large chunks of time while I was working on the farm and when I was dealing with uh, the harvest and all that. So 
I made the decision to literally shut the room down, down. I turned off all the lights, turned off all the climate control, um, shut the water off to the beds and let the beds go completely fallow. So what I had to do when I knew I was going to kickstart the beds again is uh, about a month before I was anticipating putting my, the cycle 10 plants in, I got, I, kicked up the room again i got the uh, climate control going i got the lights on i got the water going to the beds and for about for a week or 10 days i would go in and hand water um with the hose uh little doses to the bed because it was at that point it had gotten hydrophobic it was so dry um and so i really had to i I had to slowly water the bed so it would reach field capacity kind of in this natural fashion where I wasn't washing. It wasn't, I wasn't flushing things out. Um, So uh, once I got the beds to field capacity after about 10 days, then I I did some um, compost extracts um, where, you know, basically just, uh, um, put compost or leaf litter into a 220 micron bag and just kind of dunked it into some in and out of some water um, and, and separated it just like water hash separated those microbes into a solution and then watered that into the beds to reintroduce a microbial population. Um, And then, and then planted new uh, cover crop and companion plants. And so I let that process take place for three weeks or so. And I think, I think it took me a little longer to get the plant. So I, I was actually to a, able to establish a really healthy cover crop. But um, that being said, the biology numbers weren't um, exactly where I wanted. And we were getting into winter. So I didn't have a source like my leaf litter source outside was not really accessible anymore. So I was just kind of riding with what I had. Um, and so my 10th cycle, it, it was... Um, I didn't get the, it was fine. You know, it, it just, uh, I noticed that the growth rate wasn't as, uh, as, um, fast and vigorous as it usually is. It took a while for the veg to kind of kick in, um, and like the transplant shock, uh, not shock, but the transplant stress was more pronounced than usual. Whereas like this time in the 11th cycle, because the beds were up and kicking lots of biology happening now. Um, I've been putting my spent grain spawn in the bed. So there's lots of fungal activity. Uh, and so now I didn't have any transplant stress. Like I, I planted the new uh, cuttings in the 11th cycle and they just, they just fucking took off. So 10th cycle, there was, there was those little kind of growth, um, growth hurdles. And, you know, I think early on there was a little bit of aphid pressure. And once again, I think that that was uh, because of a, uh, lack of biology. So the plants weren't getting all of the nutrition that it needed. So I was, I was getting low bricks numbers on my 10 cycle plants. And so now in 11 cycle, my bricks numbers are a little higher. There's absolutely no pest pressure this time. Um, and so to me, it was just a real testament to the whole soil food web and healthy plants, um, being able to resist, um, you know, uh, pests, not, not, not necessarily eliminate the, the possibility of pests. Like, um, you know, uh, uh, there are some claims out there, which I find interesting, 
but I do think that healthy plants with high bricks are, are going to fare better than a plant with low bricks, um, you know, that it's maybe not as healthy. It's, it, it, it's really just kind of um, common knowledge, I would think. Um, so I did notice that my 10 cycle plants uh, weren't optimal, but did great. The yields were great. The smoke is fantastic. You know, um, it was just those little micro inefficiencies that I noticed. And, and uh, I, I honestly expected and anticipated them um, because it was my first cycle after kind of rebooting the beds. Um, yeah. I feel like I've been blabbing. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm sitting here enjoying it, man. Okay, cool. You're, you're a wealth, you're a wealth of knowledge, and I know myself and everybody else are just taking it all in. I got <laughs> questions. I got questions. Cool. Got questions. Let's do it. Hopefully that you don't mind. I know no, this is no, supposed man. to be more of a spotlight and not like no. a Q and A, but no, no. I figured <laughs> I figured it was gonna be Q and A, and so I'm cool with that. So so hit it, hit me up. So. With the, I hear you talking about, well, first of all, when I guess first things first, when you talk of a cycle, how big, how long of a, a lifespan are we talking? Because mm-hmm. when I, when I do things, things around here are a little different, you know, obviously sure. I'm in a veg, I have yep. a veg and a flower. I work yep. way, my way through. So is yep. your cycle from start to finish veg? through flower is that a cycle or would you speak of a flower just a flower a cycle great question and i think that that's uh dependent on your particular circumstance in that room so so like my cycles at home um include the veg stage because i veg and then flower in the same in the same four by eight bed um whereas like i believe and i and if i'm wrong i've got no problem being corrected but i believe Steve with at Green Life Productions, their bloom room is strictly bloom and they transplant fully vegged plants into their bloom room and then they just go right into bloom. So his cycle, if I was calling his cycle, it would be just his bloom phase. That's what I would call. So like when he says I'm at cycle 24, I don't think he's including the veg because that's happening in another room. So it's his, his bloom room is on its 24th cycle. That's my understanding of how I've interpreted his social media. Um, I don't know his, his situation personally, so I, I'm not speaking in definitively. That's just kind of how I've perceived it, but myself at home, and that's how it'll happen for us at Ohio fire factory, this facility that we're working on. Um, it's going to be the same way. Um, a cycle is going to be, a bloom cycle. So that's going to be, you know, eight to nine week, an eight to nine week cycle. Um, at home, it's longer than that. It's the regular eight to nine week bloom, but it's also a three week to four week veg, depending on, you know, uh, the growth rate of the veg and how many plants I got in there, whatever variables. But so my cycle is considerably longer here because I am including the veg. Yeah, I think that's a key to know, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. because when I'm thinking about cycles, I'm thinking about time time periods, mm-hmm. and in a time period on, on, a, uh, on a bed like that, in a cycle, flower cycles obviously shorter, mm-hmm. more times in the time span, and I would think more brutal on the bed, you know what I mean? I, I would think the, the flower cycle would be is speaking in cycles would be more brutal 
uh, depleting the soil uh, through those cycles versus, you know, uh, one cycle being half a light veg and mm. then flower, you know, depleting it a little heavier later on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that would be an interesting um, deep dive for some of these guys that are really into, like, doing the soil paste and, and the chemistry, the soil chemistry analysis and the plant sap analysis. Um, we, we dabbled into some of that. We, we actually hired an agronomist, um, a, a professional agronomist who, you know, has, has managed 10,000 acres and, and has, you know, developed acreage from sagebrush land. Like, you know, like he, the guy knows his shit. And so we were like, man, we, you know, we'd love to bring you on, you know, uh, and, and help us manage like kind of our soil fertility and let us know where we're at from a, a chemistry standpoint, you know, um, I, I, I was prepared to, to do what I needed to do to understand the biological side, but I didn't understand the chemistry side. And frankly, I mean, it's going to sound terrible, but I'm really just disinterested in it. That, that, <laughs> that like the organic chemistry side, is just like, I just like zone the fuck out. I I've got no interest in it. Um, and, and there's plenty of people that do and are great with it and, and uh, they can have it. <laughs> I'll, I'm going to focus, you know, and I'm not saying there's no place for it, but I know what, what works for my brain and, and what doesn't. And so I know when to bring someone else on for those things. And so that's what, that was his role. And so they, he was doing really cool stuff, like, you know, checking um, the nutrition, the, you know, the, uh, the chemistry levels in the soil and then what was actually in the plant and then juxtapositioning that data to see what was actually mobile in the plant from, from the ground, you know? So there was a lot of cool, data points that that came from from that whole process but um yeah i don't know where i was going with that it's a ramble so i just want to i just want to say it doesn't sound shitty in uh, in my view to be right. honest with you. <laughs> okay, it good. sounds no seriously it sounds very masterful in my opinion and then that may sound silly to you but yeah, in my it's opinion, a little. It's very, it very, it's very masterful mm. because it, to to have a winning plan is knowing that you don't know. Oh, everything. sure. That yeah. Second, secondly, you you know to have I'm a, I'm a big I like uh, Napoleon Napoleon Hill, uh, and he he talks about having a mastermind circle, mm. and part of having a mastermind circle is knowing that you don't fucking know everything 100%. or you don't give a shit about everything, yep. but you know, yep. that's part of the equation. And you, that's why I'm saying you're wise. You, you know, it's part of the equation. You don't yep. give a shit, but yep. you know, you got to have a guy on your team for yep. that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got a credit, you know, I've got a credit. Um, there's a gentleman that was uh, a member of our team for that uh, big, 2900 acre hemp grow his name is eric um and he is a uh high level like fortune 500 ceo coach and we got fortunate enough to have him on the team because he's the husband of our in-house counsel right our in-house attorney and so he kind of came as kind of a package deal we brought we brought him on too because he would he would literally follow us around with spiral notebooks all day long while we're doing our business 
and just fucking taking notes on everything. And then we would meet, we'd meet up and he would talk to us about, you know, um, effective communication and understanding, you know, uh, team members strengths and weaknesses and leveraging strengths. Like he, he really helped me look at things that I hated about myself. Like I'm uh, the hypercritical nature. And then I've got this, I've got this ability and he, he calls it an ability to look around corners, but my other business partners would be like, Oh, he's just being negative. When I wasn't, I'm not being negative. I have this like terrible part of my brain that tries to figure out everything that can go fucking wrong and what we can do, you know, to fix those things were they to come up and how likely is one to happen over the other. So, you know, in my mind, before I met Eric, I hated that part about myself because I always felt negative. I always felt like I was seeking out the negative and it, and it really felt terrible. And then people who I worked with would kind of vibe on that too until I met Eric and he was like, dude, that's a beautiful fucking gift. Are you kidding me? Like, you need to groom that man. And the people and the people around you need to just accept it because, you know, that's, that's a gift that some people don't have, you know, like the, the ability to, to literally put, and that's why people don't like it because you have to put yourself in a losing position to figure out a way out of it before it happens. So um, what I'm getting at is that he speak, he spoke to that very same thing that you're, you're, that you're talking about and that I've carrying forward in everything that I'm doing is that like, like understanding what your strength is first off and then understanding your limits in that. And then hopefully you can curate a team that where that kind of, that kind of thinking is welcome and, and, you know, like, like my team knows my weaknesses and they don't dare put me in that situation unless it's for like, you know, an exercise. It's like a, it's something that I want to do or we need to do as a team, you know, that they know what my weaknesses are communicating um, like cold calling, you know, uh, dealing with pesky, you know, uh, 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 anybody of a, of a pesky nature, I, I got really short fuse with, you know, so they knew what situations to, to not insert me in. And then what, what were in, what were situations where I, I could leverage my strengths. And I knew that of that same thing of my teammates as well. And so that's the hardest part is that any big operation requires a team. You cannot have, unless you're some fucking Elon Musk, eccentric, crazy, super genius, um, you, and even then you're going to be so eccentric that you're not going to be able to handle the personal skills that you need to, to keep a ship like that going. So you absolutely have to have a team, you know, for, for, for any kind of sizable project. Um, and, and that's why a lot of big projects fail, you know, because you end up not having a team, you have kind of a dictatorship and, and this weird hierarchy you know, the, the, the times that I've been around where we can actually develop a good, strong team are the where you have the most chances of success, for sure. You know, you're absolutely right. And, you know, you can't even throw, you know, much respect to old Elon Musk, a very genius dude, and anybody in his boat. But even he isn't doing it by himself 100%. or anybody to that. 
because even if he were to only one doing a large scale like that, he'd be hindering himself in so many ways. There's, you know, he might as well be utilizing his talents in other ways and having people under him do smaller things so he could be doing greater things for the greater good. Yeah. Hindering himself doing, you know. Yeah, 100%. That was another thing that Eric was saying about uh, about me is like, you know, it was like, hey, look, you know, um, you need to take time to sit there and stare at the wall and think and, and do, you know, and, and we want to give you that time. So nobody's ever going to, if you're sitting there, you know, we know that you're not sitting there doing nothing. We know that your brain is working overtime. So when, when we see that happening, we're going to give you that leeway and we'll find other people to do whatever needs to happen. So it is really kind of a cool, uh, a highly unusual situation. And we really lucked out having this kind of really high level. I can't say the names of the companies and people that he's worked with, but you would know every single one of them. And some of the personalities he's worked with are household names. Um, and so it, it was very, very, very fortunate to be able to spend a good solid year to 12 months yeah i mean 12 to 18 months with the guy um and and i really picked up a lot uh uh, a lot of business savvy a lot of personal um communication skills you know and so i highly encourage people to think on that mindset if they're working um on building any anything of value and substantial any kind of legacy project that you plan plan on passing on to your kids like it has to start with a solid foundation and that foundation is your team. And, and you know, unless it's, unless you think you could go it alone, but the, you're, the, the deck stacked against you at that point. So there's something else about putting together that team too, that I've found, you know what I mean? The, yeah. Maybe you could find some truth to this as well. <laughs> when you're putting together the team, if you're the smartest guy on the fucking team, it's time for a new fucking team. Yep. <laughs> you should yeah. be surrounding yourself with cats that are making you pull pull you forward, not necessarily One. you're the top dog and you you put it together some support. Yeah, 100%. Well, then you find in in like just your daily routine interactions with these people who like like this Eric guy, man, like a genius, literal genius. Like he, he passed his, the bar and could have become a lawyer. His wife's a lawyer. They met in law school. And, um, but he was like, fuck it. I don't want to be a lawyer. He's like, I'm just going to just do the CEO coaching thing. And so that's what he does. Cause that's what his heart's at. And that's what he's really good at. He's good at organization. And, and um, you know, so, uh, like I said, I can't, can't, can't speak enough good things about the guy and about, um, the process, you know, uh, um, the, the process that is, uh, um, developing anything substantial, any kind of, any kind of business that's going to have longevity, you know, you just, it has to start with that foundation. awesome that you give credit to the people around you too brother oh yeah it's it's the way it goes man i appreciate that so my next question is with this with my living organic bed would be how far ahead do i need to think you know i'm hearing you talk 10 11 
possibly 15 cycles. How far ahead do I need to think when I'm putting my bed together? I'm asking this question because, you know, in time, you know, things, that bed's growing through time. You, you've got <laughs> cover crops you're putting down. Right. Yeah. I'm sure it's puffing up with time. Yep. You're building yep. your own humus layer. Is sure. there a time that it, come, where it comes to where you go, I need to take this bed apart, cut it in half, you know, bring it back down to, you know, a level and let it rebuild. Uh, does Is that a thing or no? No, I mean, no. I think that... Um... I think if you, I don't know the exact rates of hum, actual humus layer accumulation. So um, it's, it, it's like a quarter of an inch in hundreds of years or something. I mean, it's some kind of ridiculously slow process to build that humus layer. So my understanding, you know, like I've still got, um, let's go drop a hot joint just a sec. Um, my, uh, I've still got f- a good three or four inches on my, in my fabric pots, you know, and I don't think that I would get to the top in my lifetime. So, so, so I, I, you don't have to look too far ahead in the future. You know, like when I first started my bed, I didn't look past my first cycle. Um, because I was just really interested in what was happening at that moment. Um, this, you know, I had these beautiful beds in the space, you know, now, and it felt really right. And the plants really responded to the, the fact that they were in the beds. And at that point in time, I had learned better about vapor pressure deficit um, based on that, that super soil grow that was really dry. And I was like, ah, I was racking my brain and what was going on, why my plants were so stunted. And then I, I figured it out. Um, and uh, so that, that first cycle was just, you know, I wasn't thinking about cycle 10, you know, I think I, you know, I knew of like mountain organics who at that time had like 10 cycle plants that were in 10 gallon containers. And I was just like, this is un, unfucking believable. It, it, that seemed just like a completely lofty, unattainable thing. I was so enthralled in where I was at with cycle one um, and the process that, you know, that's, that's really, I didn't really look forward any further than that, you know, and then every, every cycle, I, you know, as I'm picking up information and, and learning, um, I made uh, little tweaks to how I, um, process the garden and, and and usually it led to me doing less you know um, and I started it from a very minimalist uh, perspective and approach and I, and I did that very intentionally um, I think I just wanted to kind of prove the concept I mean, you know like I said that that picture of the plant that was grown with just water and shade leaves and then look I understand that there's nutrient in the soil and that, that when you say something was grown with water only um, some people are take, take exception to that. Like, like there's an attempt at being disingenuous or, or, you know, and it's, I just never really look, we, we all understand that there's nutrient value in the soil. But when I say what well, I'm saying, when I used to say water only, I meant that I'm not mixing any nutrient in, I'm not, you know, all that my root zone is getting is water from the time my plants hit the soil 
to the time I harvest them. That what's going through those blue mat drippers is fresh water. That's it. No teas, no fucking tonics, no mumbo jumbo, nothing, just water. And, and, and I did that for a reason. And, and it was to illustrate that what was happening below the soil between that, that interaction between the plant and the, and the microbes at the rhizosphere was driving everything. Right. And, and that was, um, that was my intention. That was my clear intention. And I've, and so it's been, it's been easy to not deviate from it because the method has been very cut and dry, very simple. You know, I will do a full year of kelp and aloe once a week in early in veg and maybe the first two weeks of early flower. I do a JDAM wetting agent foliar as an IPM early in veg. Um, but usually like once, obviously once they're in flower, um, I don't do anything. And, and if I had to, like I had that little bit of aphid pressure on cycle 10, I got predatories. I got them on early enough that they were able to handle the problem. You know, I think I had one little pocket where he had some ladybug larva, you know, but it's my personal smoke and I don't give a fuck. You know, I, if I got to pick a ladybug larva off a bud or two, it's not the end of the world. I'd much rather do that than deal with aphids or some kind of toxic spray or something. So um, that being said, uh, uh, it, it's, um, it's, I'm still doing it that way. So if I, if I'm applying biology to the beds at all, it's happening in between cycles. So, you know, I've got a vermicompost station going in my, in my place now. So I'm, I'm, it's been the winter months and I haven't been able to start a, a good biocomplete compost pile outside. Those take a while. So I'm just basically cold composting with organic compost that I've kind of store-bought and then amended with kelp um, and oyster shell. And then I'm basically, that's the, what the worms are processing in my vermicomposting station. So I'm not using table scraps. Those are mostly water you end up have dealing with fruit flies and all that kind of shit. I've learned that lesson. So we're just sticking with the super cold vermicomposting. Those worms are awesome little bioreactors. Um, they're literally consuming the microbes, concentrating them in their gut and shitting them out. It's like you can't get it's it's awesome. You know, it's a great source of biology and it's easy to have. It doesn't take up a very big footprint. And so um, I'll be utilizing that biology source to um, make sure that the, my biology levels in my beds are, are appropriate. And I'm doing that through direct microscopy, you know, so um, utilizing the microscope uh, to um, analyze and quantify and identify some of the soil food web, you know, um, cohorts uh, like the nematodes, whether they're bacterial feeding or root feeding, you know, the good guys or bad guys. Um, so uh, that, those are skill sets that I didn't have cycle one. Um, shit, I didn't have them cycle nine. So it, it's, uh, uh, it's a, now I just have a, a clearer window to look through um, when analyzing my, my system. Uh, and it's, it's been worth every penny to me to, to have that. It, it was not necessary to knock it out of the park beforehand. You know, I was able to grow awesome without the scope and um, you just trusting the system and trusting the process uh there's no problem with doing it that way I, I did it that way for you know uh 10 cycles and uh nine cycles and did just fine so um 
this kind of like uh, there, for a while there was some push pull against the microscopy and you know that that it's unnecessary and you know in a sense it is unnecessary but it is a great tool and and it gives and when i'm looking through like my my uh, compost extracts or whatever it's nice to look in there and see that it has the protozoa it has the things that i need and i'm not questioning now when i put a compost extract in in between cycles whether it's got the protozoa, it's got the nematode count that I, that I need, you know, um, I want. And now I can, I can look at that and, and, uh, and get that answer for myself. And it's, so it's a valuable uh, data point. So I can't help but wonder, I got a couple of questions, A, about composting. And uh, so one, I can't help but wonder, yeah, I heard you, I, you know, mentioned aphids. You know, cannabis and aphids, which is mm-hmm. a common problem there. Yep. Can you actually, you know, with that in mind, when you're amending your soil, kind of amend it in twofold? You know what I mean? Uh, both nutrient and with pest defense in mind. So, you, can you add, like, say, coffee grounds, which you know, oh, sure. uh, aphids don't like? I mean, could could. Could you aim with that being part of you know, IPM, being part of that, mixing up coffee grounds and maybe, a, you know, eggshells sure. are good for the soil as well. But I imagine as, you know, a pest man- management, they have to have some benefits as well. It seemed like pests wouldn't want to crawl through them. Yeah. Either. Yeah. I mean, those are all, those are all, um, I think that the, the good thing about farming or, or you know, even at, at any scale, even if no matter where you're at with, if you're cultivating, we'll just say cultivating is a, is a more appropriate term. Farming just kind of gives this like grandiose kind of feeling, but, but when you're cultivating, um, so I don't want to disclude the guys that are doing little things, you know, um, when you're cultivating, you have uh, every kind of right, to try those things, you know, and, and I've never thought, I, you know, I never thought about uh, using, utilizing coffee grounds in that way. I, I will add them to of uh, the vermicompost because that's a really good uh, thing to add. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that trying those type of things and then just once again, like we talked about early on, like, uh, taking note, you know, to, even if you're not writing the notes down, but you're taking a mental note and you're, you're understanding what's happening, whether it's a net positive, a net neutral or a negative, um, you know, and then refining it, refining the process, you know, there's always going to be a way you can tweak it. Um, but what I've found from my studies and from my practical applications is that, you know, uh, there's been, a lot of people way smarter than me that have spent way more hours um, thinking of these problems and what they've come up with, you know, are at least that what I've been able to understand is that the biology plays such a huge role and that the, uh, the more biologically diverse and active and complete your soil is um, the better chance you have at fending off those um, pathogenic and, and pests um, because 
there's just no room for them. You know, like as soon as uh, you get any kind of uh, insect larva in a healthy soil, it's done for. You know, you got nematodes that are going to get the really small larva. You got microarthropods that are getting them at the later stage, the pupa stage or whatever it is, you know. And so um, as long as you've got that a, a complete biology in, in adequate numbers, those things just don't stand a chance. And that's why cycle 10, my cycle 10 let, kind of lend itself as a testament to that um, because I knew my biology numbers were low um, because my beds had been fallow. And I was just, I just started to reintroduce the biology. I knew that uh, a complete biology package was really going to happen once the plants started growing and their exudates were contributing to the whole process, you know, because until that was happening, until the cover crop was actually going, you know, the biology was pretty minimal in there, you know, it was mainly bacteria. And so, um, it took that 10th cycle for biology, you know, for those big plants to be rocking and kicking in there and all the, um, all the cover crop doing their thing. And so now, you know, just literally like three months later, I'm planting cycle 11 and things are just glorious. Like it's radiant in there and not a, not a hint of any kind of problem, which is super interesting. I was afraid, you know, I, I had the aphids, wiped out but i was afraid there was going to be some kind of carryover but once again this high bricks low bricks thing and, and i know that the people take exception to it but there's this absolutist mind frame that you know i think that um and i've and i've been guilty of it you know i think i even have it on my highlights 12 bricks are better and bye-bye press pressure and what i mean by bye-bye press pressure isn't like see you forever but you know it greatly reduces and 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 that's and that's a common observation amongst a lot of cultivators that i know who actually read their bricks and now that's a slippery slope too because you know you can get varying bricks readings from different times of the day um you know so the standard practice is to just pick a time of the day because you're trying to get a data set right you're trying to find an arc um of where your plant is with their, with their sugars, you know, a more, more appropriately, the complex sugar, a complex carbohydrate. And so um, if you're taking it at different times of the day, then obviously you're going to have your data is going to be as valuable as that, you know, it's going to be very, very, very variable. But if you're taking it at the same time of the day, you at least have, an idea of the stability or whatever. And for a while I was taking them at lights on and then taking one at lights off and seeing the differences. And then, you know, usually there wasn't very much, I haven't noticed inside a difference at all. So I just take mine in the morning within the first hour of lights on. And um, that's when I've decided to take my breaks. So um, yeah, I went on a breaks tangent. Sorry. (laughs) So, with bricks, with with that subject being said, you know, I heard you one, you know, talk about it being low. Do you address mm-hmm. that with, say, a compost that is in, you know, sugar rich? Yeah, I mean, 
do you well when, you know it depends if, if bricks is important in your garden and you're building your compost are you mm -hmm. building your compost with fruits and sugary based you know compost sure yeah and then that's that's a that's a really common uh, thought process and i think um my my thinking on it based on what i've learned um is that basically it's a it's a biological imbalance that's lending to improper nutrient uptake um which is which is causing um uh, what should be complex carbohydrates uh, uh, instead being made into simple uh, single chain carbohydrates, um, which don't register as healthy plant sugars when you do the bricks. So, um, yeah, uh, man, I'm really sorry. I have two joints into this. I usually don't smoke this much. Uh, oh, man, what, man, was the, no, what was the question? More serious than I, you know, I would usually take this. Jeff, okay, cool. <laughs> cool. I feel, <laughs> feel kind of like a stoner right now, but uh, it's oh. uh, <clears throat> you know I don't live and die by the bricks. It, it, once again, it's it just like the uh, microscope. It's just a data point. You know, it's nice to see. Like it's nice to have a, a number when my plants are really healthy and happy and active. It's nice to have a number you know, and uh, a, a column to kind of associate that the state that plant is with this kind of number. It, it, well, just like the scope, I was able to grow for years without a Briggs meter. Um, I would be able to grow just fine without it now um, because, you know, I, uh, we're just in touch, in tune with our plants and understand the processes a little greater and more as we go along. But I like having that data point. Um, and I think that uh, in order to increase, which is what you were, the original question was, was to, in order to increase those BRICS numbers, I would address the biology. Um, so my cycle 10 BRICS numbers were low, and that's because my, my bacteria populations were high. My um, fungal populations were not as high as I wanted them, but really what wasn't present was my, the protozoa, was the nematodes and the things that actually eat the bacteria and fungi that cycle the nutrients. Those weren't present in adequate numbers. So I had to buy uh, nematodes and, and put them in um, after cycle 10. You know, I added and did like a nematode infusion. And then um, the uh, compost extract. And, that, and that's how I got my biology numbers back up um, along with just cycle 10 and all the cover crop and companion plants and the, the, the cash crop itself, um, cycling its exudates into the soil and enriching the soil in on its own for a three month period. So, you know, th those, just that, just the act of the plant, the, the plants growing in it are, are what brings soils through those levels of succession, you know, from a, a, a weedy prairie, grassland to you know a weedy prairie thorn bush acreage then all of a sudden it's growing seasonal grasses then it's growing more woody shit and then you know 100 years later it's fungal dominated you know you can those same type of things can happen in you know a, a very slow very small scale in your room when you have plants growing in there it's enriching the soil it's changing the it's changing the chemistry or what's at least what's available in the soil 
uh, um, and it's changing the structure and the texture, all of that. And, and it happens very fast. You know, it, 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 you think it's not, but you know, a three month time frame to me, that's fast, <laughs> you know, to go from fallow concrete dry beds to three months later, you know, I was able to grow and pull off a crop in that three months too. You know, but uh, after that three month period, we're like homeostasis again. The bed is just fucking kicking. So I have a question from chat, and I, I, I'm going to ask you because I, I think it's a pretty good question to be honest yeah. with you. The Major General 420 Army says, "Kiss has no sand in it. Does Josh believe he has a soil or a modified?" Soil or a modified peat? Well, that's a good question. I mean, if, you know, I believe it had a compost component in it. I'd have to go back and see what, what that was. But even if, so at first it probably was a, a peat um, and the system relied on the dry nutrient pack that was there and available um, because, um it, that super soil blend, if not super soil, that living soil blend did come and he does recommend that you use a nutrient pack to kind of re-amend this soil. But the way I've treated it with adding composts and then these successive layers of um, cover crops and whatever. So there's a lot of organic matter um, in, in that bed. And so I think you know, that I'm going to be moving forward with only using biology from this point, and and that will be the testament to whether um, Dr. Elaine's soil food web works in these uh, modified soil, you know, mixed soils that aren't kind of native soil. I didn't dig the dirt up, so is there a high concentration of sand, silt, and clay, which is what he's getting at? Um, I. I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I don't think so. I don't know how to answer that. My guess is that it's obviously not going to have near as much uh, of those things as a native soil would have. Um, but organic matter um, has a lot of nutrient locked up in it as well. And so I think that if you have a lot of organic matter, I do, there is a lot of pumice and um, biochar in that KISS blend. So, you know, I think I'm not worried moving forward with a biological approach. So I will not be amending my beds with dry minerals and nutrients um, for the foreseeable future. I'm, I plan on just adding the vermicompost, um, whether, whether I'm going to add the vermicompost like as, as a layer, uh, like a top dress in between cycles, along with doing an extract and inserting the biology that way I'm, I'm adding some organic matter to the beds as well and not just biology I think that's going to be the method that I'm taking and I'm interested to see um, if yields are different over time or if what I understand of the soil food web to be true is that as long as you have biology and you have um, you know enough organic matter in your uh, in your soil, in your parent material, then there's going to be enough NPK for any crop to grow. And I know that's a tough pill for some folks to swallow. It sounds like mumbo jumbo, um, but I'm here to try it <clears throat> and I'm not afraid to try it. And I think that 
that it's worth it and it, and it is a good question and it's worth noting um is there going to be a difference in these pre-mixed kind of living soil um systems or um over an outdoor system where there's an abundance of uh sand silt and clay yeah i may get to a point where i have to um amend with a glacial rock dust or something for the mineral content or something and, I, and i'm fully accepting of that and prepared to to do that if i needed to so aren't they you know again i'm completely new to the living organic systems Mm -hmm. building your soil systems but you know even if you were all in 100 percent peat okay Mm -hmm. flat out you turning it into a living organic living system aren't by just adding the vermicompost Aren't you, in fact, adding, you know, basically your rock dust and sand through the vermicompost? I would you think know, so. They... Yeah, I would think so. Like, I'm not an expert on 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 that by any means, and I'm just kind of dabbling in uh, doing it myself. I've had small pass-through vermicomposting things for, at various levels of success, but I've never been, I've never sustained one and and kept one that that served an actual purpose that was important. And that's what this is to me now. So I'm just kind of going down this road. Um, I wish like, like Clackamas Coot would be a really good resource. Like he knows his worm shit. Um, but I think, I, I think that there would, that that's the value of, of the casting itself is what's, what's being passed through. Um, because my understanding is that the worms really, what they're eating is the bacteria off of the organic matter that they're really not wanting to eat the organic matter, but sometimes it just makes it in. And that's what, and that's what their, um, their shit ends up becoming. That casting is those little bits of organic matter that they incidentally consumed while hoovering up all the microbes off the outside of it. Right. And that's what they're really eating is the, is the biology. And then they, uh, it all consolidates in their gut in this mucusy mass, and then it ejects that. Then they eject the um, the uh, fucking organic matter debris that it wasn't digesting because it was eating the the bacteria and shit. So uh, it stands to reason that that's you know that's why the um, earthworm castings is, has substance. You know it's uh it's uh, there's something there, you know, and so uh, it stands to reason that if you if you've got like I feed my worms the diatomaceous earth, um, they're they're mowing through the compost, and so uh, it's it, to me it stands to reason that there's going to be a lot of those things that are needed by the plant, those trace minerals um, right there in, and we we already know this that that that's there and available in the um, earthworm casting. So. Like I said, I'm I'm willing to um, to to see, and I'm looking forward to because, uh, like I said, I've just learned this information about the soil food web and and my understanding of how um, plants or, or how nutrient is pulled from um, soil and organic matter and and those type of things. So I'm I'm interested to see how that um, plays out in my beds at home. Uh, so. Fully, fully prepared for to have to amend them at some point, 
but I was under amending anyway to begin with, and my yields never changed. Um, we did, uh, you know, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm interested to see how it goes uh, moving forward. What uh, strains are you looking to put in some of them bags? What uh, strains are you excited about currently? Well, right now I'm I'm testing um, a bunch. I'm testing some. Uh, well, I'm running some Trilato. A buddy of mine, a good friend of the family, he's been breeding for years. Um, a legacy grower himself. He comes from a family of growers, um, and uh, a, a brilliant breeder, man. And and I've been trying to get him to go public with his Trilato seeds. And I was even like, man, I'll turn my room into a seed you know, let's just, let's just do seeds, man. Like you, this shit is incredible. Like I am such a picky bastard and this Trilato is, is damn near perfection for me. It's uh, all gas smells like burning bicycle tires. The parent genetics are um, triangle Kush, a lemon skunk and gelato. And um, he popped he said he, he popped dozens and dozens of, of these uh, trilotto crosses of the, of that three-way cross. And this one trilotto was like a freak of nature. It came out completely different than everything else. It's uh it was a golden ticket style one, you know, like it, 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 uh, none of the other ones had the same turp profile. They're all, they're all, um, very different and it was just this one kind of mutant and so he was able to keep a hold of it a year or so ago before I shut the rooms down uh, my cycle nine was the trilotto and that was his test batch of that shit and it was hands down the best stuff I've ever grown the best stuff I've ever smoked and right now three weeks into flower and I can smell those terps and I'm just every day I'm salivating uh, so the Trilato is big on my list right now. Um, that's going to have a place in my garden for a long time. Um, he has a cherry cookies cross with Trilato that he says is better. I don't believe him. I don't know how it's possible, but he says it's better. I got a couple of those going, so we're going to see what's up with those. Um, I've got a couple of the Bay Area runts. I know it's a hypey, uh, but he had them, and I was like, fuck it. Let's try it. Let's, uh, let's see what the hype's about. Uh, it's kind of a fruity thing, and I'm not really into the fruity, so I don't know. Um, that one might go to the wife and the oldest kid or something. <laughs> but uh, the uh, um, the uh, and then I've got two testers, like a Dole Whip and Dilly Bar, and those are a couple of white truffles crosses um, going on right now. So I think I think I'm gonna just gonna be uh, doing a lot of testing for my buddy because he's fucking pumping out the fire and. And as long as I'm testing, he's got cuts. So it saves me from having to do any kind of cuts or any kind of veg, secondary bedroom. And I'll just happily run testers for him. Um, and when he's ready to run seed of that Trilato and go public, I think we could crush it, man. I, I would love to see this cut in other people's gardens. And, and I would love for them to experience. There's only like, I could count the number of people who've been able to experience this true Trilato, at least in my circle on both hands and it's a fucking shame because it's uh it's uh, incredible so uh a little off topic but man i can't help but notice you've got some pretty sweet ink over there chief oh uh, yeah 
Yeah, you know, I worked with a cat. Um, his name is Jonathan Smith. So you can look, you guys look him up on IG, Johnny Smith Art. I might be Johnny Smith Tattoo. Um, Jonathan Smith, fuck. He, he's he's popular. He's got like 73,000 IG followers or whatever. He, he, and he's a, a really well-known tattoo guy now. But when he first moved um, from Alabama to Ashland, Oregon, where we were living at the time, we worked at the same place. And uh, I was growing herb, of course. And I was able to trade him herb for sessions and uh, was able to get, you know, a full sleeve and and half 50 60 percent of another one um and, you know and it was a, a great deal and i got some neck work done too but uh yeah it was a it was it was a good deal man he, and it was a uh he was a great guy and now his skills are absolutely unbelievable these are like almost 20 years old now maybe a little older <laughs> look great crazy they look great for 20 years man. yeah they're, they're old man they've had them for a spell but these my hand ones are new those uh those are new but, but yeah man I, I got the tattoo itch that's for sure does it stop right there on your arms or what you said you got some please go neck. up to here i've got a i've got uh two um Colt uh, handguns here, uh, and then on my neck I've got some uh, Colt hand, Colt pistols, um, and then yeah I've got quite a few tattoos. I think I I think when we figured it all out it was something like forty hours of work or something. something nice, like that. nice. Yeah, with that big old beard, I wouldn't have guessed. I yeah. you know, to be honest with you, I wouldn't yeah, have guessed. They're in that, there. Yeah. There, yeah, and there's like, they go all the way back. They start here. You can see the handle there, and then they point back, and then the barrels are back, kind of underneath my ear. But uh, right that's a rare sighting, man. If you'd have to know me for quite a while, or 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 be pretty close to me to see those, because I'll I'll shave occasionally, but it grows back so fast. Um, you don't, you rarely get a chance to see the guns. <laughs> You see, you're so uh, you seem very laid back. You know, the guns seem like uh, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't have expected the guns. Yeah. Well, uh, well, man, I I really picked up an affinity for them in the military, right? So um, I did some uh, spe- special weapons courses, um, foreign weapons course, and so I really uh, got good with the pistol and got good with just marksmanship and weapons handling in general. So, um, you know, I, I fucking love firearms and, and I'm an owner of several, um, you know, uh, and, um, I think it's a, a, a lost art and a valuable skill, you know, it might not be necessary anymore these days, but, um, maybe one day it will be, you know, and, and, you know, it's just, uh, I think it's one of those, it's one of those lost arts that is really in danger. We're in danger of losing it. So I'm definitely going to be passing down the marksmanship traits and skills to my kids. You know, we already started with like very low feet per second, BB gun, you know, marksmanship handling, that kind of shit. And as they get older, we'll move into, um, um, you know, uh, age appropriate, uh, 
increases in in um power you know um but but it all the foundation being the mark the uh, weapons handling um proficiency and all that so uh you know i think um yeah i love firearms so yeah it's one of those things that definitely throws folks off but uh yeah i kind of like it that way yeah uh, you know <laughs> just a little uh just because I would have never seen that in you, well, I don't, yeah, I wouldn't have necessarily seen that coming by the demeanor. Right. And just another person I didn't see uh, that out in their demeanor as well. And I'm just kind of giving you this because uh, uh, it's good to know sometimes uh, a common bond. Yeah. Especially when there's another common bond that can be like a double useful edge. Yeah, absolutely. Matthew Gates. Oh, uh, the no IPM <laughs> around yeah. that is in big time into weapons. Oh, that's I great. Was, Hattie Mon was talking to you know, IPM and I'm like, what yeah. else are you into? And we kind of went off into a side tangent, totally into weapons. Oh, I bet, I mean, he's, like, I bet he's brilliant just, with those. I really like that yeah. kid, man. I like that kid a lot. Um, we... We, you know, I, I, he, we've had a differing opinion and I can't say that I have a differing opinion because our intelligence levels are so different. I mean, that guy is fucking brilliant. So it's for me to say that I have a differing opinion with him is that's a stretch, you know, like I, I like John Kemp's idea. Once again, back to go to the bricks thing. I like John Kemp and Arden Anderson's idea that if you have a high enough bricks level, high enough uh, proper carbohydrates in your in your plants, then you can eliminate pest pressure. I really like the sound of that, and and you know, and I and I I respect um, their the work that they've put in in the industry. I don't think that they're hacks necessarily, right? So. Um, what the information that I've been to a couple of Arden Anderson's uh, talks personally in person, I've read a couple of the John Kemp's books and, and understand, um, you know, at a very rudimentary level, his, his uh, ideologies or whatever. And, and I know that Matthew uh, had, you know, is like basically without saying no fucking way, saying no fucking way. It's like, that's impossible. You know, that just doesn't work that way. And, and I, I, I'm not in a place to argue with him because he, he puts lays out very scientific, you know, uh, uh, points and, and I respect and honor his, um, his level of, uh, you know, um, intelligence and, and credibility in that realm. So I'm, you know, I definitely, just cause I like the idea of what John Kemp has to say, doesn't mean I'm going to thumb my nose at, at this guy who's saying, no, that's not right. You know, I think, it's too easy for us to kind of take things personal and I didn't take it personal. At all. I actually appreciate his perspective. And anytime we've talked about it, it's, it's been mutually respectful. I have just have a, I can't say enough really good things about the guy. I, 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 I really value his um, uh, input into the community at large and just, you know, overall his overall demeanor and, and the way he carries himself very professional really bright kid i say kid because he he looks young and i feel old <laughs> so that's the only reason why i'm calling him a kid but I, I just think he's a brilliant guy man right and um so yeah matthew you're awesome brother 
And to know he knows, and the the weapons is great, man. I bet he's just like knows his shit. There's no way you should feel old. 46, <laughs> if I remember hearing right, yeah, is yeah. not old. It's not old, my friend. Not even close. No, you're right. You're, I, I'm actually, I have years on you. I have years on you. I'm, I'm 49. I'm 49. Oh, so well, You're looking good, man. You don't there, look like it, though. Thanks, mm-hmm. but there's no, there's no way at all. I am gonna tell myself at any point I'm old. I keep telling <laughs> I need myself. To, I need to, I need to do that because I, I feel old sometimes, and I'm just like, oh my god. But I, I, it is a mantra, and if you say it too much, you know, you will become it. True. Well, man, I should so, probably bounce, man. I would, you know, I think it's. Uh, I'm getting to my my two hour point. Oh man, you've been more than gracious awesome. with your time. I can't I thank you it. enough for coming on doing this. This is your second second appearance on the channel, so I have no no bitches at all, man. You have donated a ton of time already to what goes on in this community. And if I let you off on a good note, maybe you'll donate some more time. Oh, definitely. Sometime in the future. Yeah, so definitely. Man, it was a pleasure. Stay on, stay on that good foot. There is a couple of things that, well, one of them you should know by now. This Zoom number is always the same. Okay. If there's ever a wormhole on and you feel like popping on and schooling us or just popping on and hanging out and burning yeah. a joint with us yeah, absolutely, and making us feel cool that we've got an excellent guest with us, uh, <laughs> that'd be awesome. Oh, I appreciate the, that, man. I really do. The other thing I'd like to get from you before you go, it's just the sound bite that I like to get from the rest of my guests. I think you know what that's about. Uh, Basically, what I'm looking to get from you is, hey, this is Joshua Steensland, and I'm on fucking talking shit with Eagle, episode 339. You can add whatever you want to it. You yeah. can cut it off there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Hey, this I'm is ready Joshua. Whenever you are. All right, cool. Hey, this I'm is Joshua sorry. Steensland. This is Joshua Steensland, and I'm on fucking talking shit with the Eagle, episode 339. 339. Yes, sir. Fucking a. Thank you very much, man. man. You, my pleasure. Awesome guy, awesome, full of full of knowledge. You've done huge things in this community. Nah, oh, man. Thank you I, very much. I appreciate that. Thanks a lot, and I love what you got going on, man. And uh, uh, looking forward to coming back. Please do. Please. All right, do. man. Have a All great right. night. You too. Later, guys. Bye now. Another great episode right there. Hopefully you are following that great gentleman. Uh, that's silly. I know you're following, Josh. You should be. Well, that puts another one in the can. Episode 339 in the hole. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed this episode. I know I did. It's been fun hanging out with Josh. So might as well wind her up. You guys know the routine. Look for me in the wormhole here in a few. What time we got? It's 1.30. Let's check in back at 2 o'clock. 2 o'clock, we'll fire up the wormhole. 2 o'clock Eastern time. Please look for that notification or just check back at 2 o'clock for the wormhole. With that being said, 
I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this episode. You guys know the deal. Please do something nice for somebody. Random acts of kindness do save lives. I'm a living, breathing example of that. Fill up that tray. Use the restroom. I'll be back. I am out of here, guys.